You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. There aren't too many people that make it out of Langham Creek High School, Texas, and make something of their lives. This is true of a lot of neighborhoods surrounding the Houston area, and it's no exception for the high school in the neighborhood where Courtney Davis grew up. But when you are a four-star wide receiver prospect, your chances go up a little bit. Davis's journey to Texas A&M had a little bit of a stumble when he was recruited and he declared he was going to go to A&M. But the way that recruiting works is until you actually like sign uh, the, the letter of intent, everything is just a handshake and a tweet. You can always go back on it. It's kind of a rough move and it doesn't look great, but there's no like rule stopping you from doing that. And so what Courtney Davis did is he said, yeah, I'm totally going to A&M. Go Aggies. And then he kind of backed out and he said, well, I actually made that decision too early. There are other offers and I want to do my due diligence. And luckily for A&M, he ends up saying, okay, yeah, no, I looked at everybody. We're going to A&M. And he becomes an Aggie. And that's not a particularly uncommon way for a player to end up at a college, but the reason I tell it to you is because his decision to go to A&M, something that he kind of double-checked and was sure of, I think kind of ended up to his detriment. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to Locked On Vikings. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. The show's on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. You can find the show anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, or you can always ask your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings. And today, I'm going to talk about the story of Courtney Davis, which I've already started, and I also want to talk a little bit of X's and O's with you. It has been uh, uh, quite a rough week, and I think we all have earned a little break where we can sit down and actually talk a little bit of football and maybe get our mind off things for a couple of minutes. But first, let's finish up with Courtney Davis's story. So he goes to Texas A&M, and he uh, starts off wanting to be the number one wide receiver as a freshman. That's not something that typically happens, but hey, we just talked about it with Troy Dye yesterday. So like, yeah, who am I to, to doubt the man? Well, unfortunately, the whims of Lady Luck are not on Courtney Davis's side because before the season even begins, he tears his ACL. And he tears it so bad that he ends up missing his first two seasons at Texas A&M. So that's kind of stroke of bad luck number one. I think we did the same thing with Braylon Addison where we just counted up all the different times that like he was just kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time. And this big ACL injury really, really derails things for the the four-star wide receiver prospect. Now, Courtney Davis is like a, a great athlete. He's kind of this like really, really fast straight line guy, but you lose two years of college ball and that's something that most players use, you know, especially when when you're not necessarily starting right away. And if you are starting right away, maybe it's even more intense, uh, but you get a certain amount of, of intense training. You know, they... In, in high school, when you are a freak athlete and you're a four-star prospect, you can just kind of run by guys and just like be faster than them and win football games. And that's kind of what happens at Langham Creek. But when you are in college, of course, like now everybody is a, is a highly recruited guy, especially at AM. You know, you got to go up against like a lot of SEC talent. And so if you're going to go to a school like AM in your first two years, you're going to get some training and some coaching. You're going to learn some nuances. And that's going to produce players like, you know, uh, AJ Brown, players like Justin Jefferson that know how to run a route, know how to be deceptive, know how to create separation against a good cornerback, and not necessarily just kind of like run by a guy. But when you miss two years of that, that's going to be a big weakness for you coming out. And so when it's 2018 and 
all the A&M fans are uh, like frothing at the mouth and they're going, what's going to happen with this kid? We thought we were getting something big and he can't stay on the field and he's hurt and blah, blah, blah. And he's injury prone and all of the narratives that typically come when somebody like has a bad injury like that. I think all that stuff's like kind of unfair because like, yeah, the guy can't control if he tears his ACL and ACLs can be wild and really difficult to recover from. And, you know, you have to maybe take a couple years to recover. Like that's a thing that happens to athletes and they typically have very little control over. So it's 2018 and it's time for Courtney Davis to finally get on the field. He's healthy, he's ready to go, and he comes back on the field. And there is some, like, adjustment that kind of has to happen here. Oh, and just uh, thinking about it and saying the years out loud, I just realized he missed out on having a freshman year where he could have been one of the primary targets for Patrick Mahomes. What a bad beat. But anyway, so it's time to get on the field, and not only do you have to physically recover and kind of get back in playing shape, but there is quite the grind to college football. There's a transition from high school to college that is a lot like, you know, what we usually think of the transition between college and the NFL. The intensity ramps up. It is your life. It's not an after-school activity anymore. Uh, You know, everybody around you is a lot better. There's this competition. There's this culture, and you kind of have to mentally get into it, and so when you're out of it for two years and you're in, like, rehab mode and you got to go at your own pace you got to be smart about your pace and you kind of have to attack that with a different mentality than you do like actual practice where it's like go as hard as you can as much as you possibly can till you throw up and and adjusting to that is also a really really difficult thing to get by and there's this interview with Jimbo Fisher uh the head coach at AM who is talking about Davis's progression with this kind of thing. And he goes, I just love where he's at. I love the mindset that he's come in and attacked with this. And that's kind of the first sign you get that, hey, maybe his career is going to be okay, even though he missed two years, even though he's got all that stuff working against him. Uh, I'll link that in the show notes, by the way. So I want to take you into uh, a, a moment in September of the 2018 season. AM is trying to stage a comeback effort against number two ranked at the time, Clemson. Uh, Clemson will go on to win this national championship this year, by the way. Uh, and they are trying to come back against them. And Courtney Davis catches this highlight that I think exemplifies his whole career at AM, where he, he catches a little, I think it was just like a quick little out, maybe a crosser or something. Uh, but he catches a ball kind of underneath it. She's got a couple of defenders in front of him and he takes it inside and there is a little bit of traffic in there and it looks like he's going to get a decent gain. And he tries to juke outside and he actually kind of slips and falls. And because he slips and falls, it screws up the timing enough and makes all of the Clemson defenders kind of hesitate. And it also allows him to completely change direction, get outside and actually get the crease he needs to score the touchdown. He reaches the ball out. It gets knocked out right at the goal line. It later turns out that it was a touchdown. After further review, 26 to 28, Clemson is in the lead. They'd end up not getting the two-point conversion, but that moment where there's just all this stuff that goes wrong, but you just kind of never give up and you just grit it out and somehow it works, that feels like the essence of Courtney Davis to me. So he ends up having a pretty good couple of years at AM, but of course he's very raw. Uh, he's supposed to go in the third or fourth round, and you know that we all are very, very familiar with. He ends up falling all the way out of the draft because of that kind of rawness, because uh, AM, and this goes back to like how sure he was that AM was the place for him. But I still kind of think AM did him wrong by never really sending him deep, never using that elite speed and athleticism. But hey, maybe that elite speed and athleticism wasn't as trustworthy coming off of the injury. And just now, four years after it, you know, maybe he runs a little better at the combine these things can happen that slowly that's not unheard of so maybe there's something to that 
But either way, he joins a wide receiver group, and I've said this with kind of every wide receiver, with a little bit of room to wiggle down at the bottom. You're not going to beat out Justin Jefferson or Adam Thielen and get the starting job, but absolutely Courtney Davis could make this roster. I, and my hot take is that he won't, but th that's a hot take. Like, a lot of people expect that he will. But of course, it all comes down to the preseason. So for him, I've got him, I believe I put all undrafted free agents in the long shot tier, but he's one of those guys that could very easily move up if I see him starting to get a lot of like second team reps in 11 personnel or something like that. But for now, I just kind of indiscriminately put all the undrafted guys in the long shot tier until they kind of prove otherwise. But I don't hate Courtney Davis's chances to prove otherwise. So stick around. For the rest of the show, I'm going to talk X's and O's, talk about Mike Hughes, and we can all just kind of uh, close our minds down, forget about what's going on outside for a little bit while, and just get away from it. Even if it's just for 20 minutes, then you can go back to protesting and donating and doing all of the absolutely wonderful, wonderful stuff. And then I'm going to close out the show with a message from Eric Kendricks that he posted, uh, that was posted through the official Vikings uh, Twitter account. You may have already seen it, but I am going to post that because the message in it is awesome and uh, comes from a guy who's really stepping up as a leader in the team and in the community. So also stick around to hear that. Okay, so last week, you may have seen, uh, if you follow me on Twitter, and even if you unfollowed me this week on Twitter, you still probably saw this, because this was before most of my discussions about police brutality and race relations and all that, that may have caused some of you folks to unfollow, which is fine, that's your prerogative, uh, but you still may have already seen it. And this thread encompassed just one game of Mike Hughes, but I thought it told a pretty cool story of a guy who kind of started off having a really, really poor game and then figured it out and got hot at the end. Uh, and that was his week 15 game against the Chargers. You might have remembered that he was really in a battle all game with Mike Williams. Mike Williams got the better of him one too many times, but he ended up turning it around and having a decent day. And I think spread throughout that game, there is a lot of information about Mike Hughes and what to expect from Mike Hughes in, uh, in, in 2020. And of course, Mike Hughes, I mean, the, the Vikings have to rely on Mike Hughes, right? So this is not a should the Vikings start him or not, like it has been in other years. This is, he's gonna play, where's it gonna be, and what's the actual result gonna be? So I guess I'll quickly go over the first question, because I don't think it's particularly difficult. I mean, the answer to that is pretty easy, right? Is he going to play slot? Is he going to play outside? And I think that all just kind of depends on what Jeff Gladney is best at. I kind of think Jeff, Jeff Gladney will be best on the outside. I think he uses the sideline really well, and I, I think he presses really well. That's a little bit more difficult to do when uh, wide receivers have a two-way go in the slot, or that is to say they can go either to the inside of you or to the outside of you, and when you're on the outside, and if the receiver tries to release to your outside, they don't have a lot of space to work with. They won't want to do that, and so it makes it kind of easier to press them and kind of funnel them out that way into a disadvantageous position. I think Jeff Gladney is pretty good at that, and and I, so I think he'll end up playing outside and then you have Mike Hughes play inside. You might actually get a rotation. Uh, and I, I think the actual answer is they're going to try it all out in camp and see what they like best. So if we all had to guess and speculate, that's what I would guess. But it'll all come down to what happens in camp. But like, how good is Mike Hughes? Like, is he good at football? I, I feel like we all kind of just assume like, yeah, he's going to be our starter. He's like our only veteran. And that's kind of the story around him. But I want to look deeper into this uh, week 15 game. And if you saw the Twitter thread, you will probably hear some redundant information. But if you didn't, Here's basically what I saw. So I, I think with corners, you can learn a lot more from their failures than from their successes. And like the first failure that I see 
comes really early in the game. It's a big, deep pass to Mike Williams, and you can see it, it looks like Mike Hughes just not being tall enough. It, like, he's kind of there, he's, like, kind of in position, and Mike Hughes just goes up and grabs it, and or uh, Mike Williams goes up and grabs it, Mike Hughes just doesn't really have much of a, a chance. But really, you have to look earlier in the route. There's a little stutter step from Mike Williams. Mike Hughes bites on that and, and uh, hesitates, and that hesitation is enough for Mike Williams to actually create the separation he needs, and then you're in this really tough spot as a corner. You either let him have the separation, or you uh, charge really fast and kind of accelerate to catch up, but to do that, you can't have your head turned around, so then you can't see the ball coming and you're completely lost. He picks the ladder most corners will pick the ladder and throw a hand up just to see, but usually that's, you know, you're beat either way and you just kind of have to try one. And so that's what Mike Hughes does on that first one. But really the problem is that he bit and you will see that a couple of times here of him biting or him kind of guessing wrong and not really reading the play right or being deceived by route running. And to me that, that reads usually more as a, a mental problem, but the physical also comes up. Uh, in in the first half here, especially in, you might remember a, a touchdown, which is also to Mike Williams, where uh, Mike Hughes just gets completely blown up at the, the breaking point of a fade route, gets to completely pushed off. Uh, you could, I guess, call it OPI. I don't, I'm not really interested in doing that. Uh, but really, you just see him struggling to be the little guy versus the big guy. And what you have to do when you're the little guy versus the big guy is get in front. He gets beat up too much at the, the top of the route. Mike Williams gets in front, and it's pretty much over. The only thing Mike Hughes can do, and I like the strategy, is just try to punch at the ball once Williams already has it, but Williams is a good receiver, and he takes the ball and and kind of uh, clutches it away way too fast for Mike Hughes to actually get that punch, and it's a desperation thing anyways. The real problem is that he's little, and he got boxed out. Uh, it actually looks very similar to a play you might be much more keen on rewatching, which is uh, Kyle Rudolph catching the fade route in the end zone to close out the, the New Orleans play off game. But there's also some stuff that is like totally not his fault. There is one uh, where the Vikings are in cover four because they're doing like a weird zone blitz thing and they don't want to get smoked deep. And Everson Griffin is actually coming off of the line of scrimmage to be in zone coverage and like lurk underneath. And it's essentially a move that's meant to deceive the protection. If Everson Griffin is coming off, that means somebody else is pass rushing that you're not supposed to expect. It's supposed to generate a sack, but Phillip Rivers gets the ball away. And because they're the only underneath help you have is Everson Griffin, but that's still underneath help, so Mike Hughes is going to play it like he has underneath help, which means he's going to favor the deep route a lot more. So that means he's going to turn his hips a lot faster, he's going to essentially concede underneath stuff like curls, and you kind of have to expect the linebacker to be there. And usually that's Anthony Barr, and when it's Anthony Barr, that's a completely okay thing to do, because Anthony Barr can get out there. Everson Griffin, not quite as quick as Anthony Barr, uh, not quite as rangy, and so there's all this room underneath for it's Keenan Allen this time, for Keenan Allen to run a quick curl, and essentially Mike Hughes, because of the coverage, has to give up the curl, and the curl is free and Keenan Allen's running a curl. So it's an easy completion on second and nine for a first down. It makes Mike Hughes look really bad, but it's like not really his fault. Uh, and, and I think that's kind of the, the way that Mike Hughes' issues manifest themselves. But that was the first half. And we came out in the second half, things got a lot better. So when I come back, I'm going to talk about that. So stick around. Okay, so Mike Hughes, halftime, Mike Hughes is getting totally screwed up by this whole thing. Uh, it's, some of it's his fault, some of it isn't, but it's all getting credited to him. 
So let's go into some of his good reps. There actually are a couple I want to talk about that came before halftime. One of them is uh, a great pass breakup that he has against a curl. It's almost the same. It's it's like the same thing. I, I think it's, no, it's Mike Williams. Uh, it's, so it's Williams this time, but this time he has help over the top from Anthony Harris. So his all of his deep stuff is covered, which means instead you play a different technique. When you're totally covered deep uh, and you know you don't have any help underneath, you... Uh, kind of dedicate all of your technique to being better at charging to an underneath thing. So he doesn't flip his hips. He stays very disciplined. He keeps himself very ready to break on a curl or an in or whatever. Turns out to be a curl. He jumps it. He breaks it up. If he's half a step fast, quarter of a step faster, he actually could have picked it off and taken it to the house, which is something we've seen Mike Hughes do. Uh, but that's kind of the technique that he's supposed to be playing, and it works out a lot better. And so kind of what we're seeing is that Mike Hughes can execute the technique he's supposed to execute very, very well, and it's a matter of making sure he's in that right technique where the problems start. There's another one that comes up in the first half where he just kind of brain farts and he he plays a technique that gives up too much outside leverage, even though he has help inside, he's still committing to like being better uh, on inside routes than on outside routes, and he gets beat on and out. And that's the kind of brain fart that makes it difficult for Mike Hughes. Plus, sometimes you just get out physicaled by a big guy like Mike Williams. That's going to kind of be a thing for the Vikings next year. But then there's all these other really nice reps. So Mike Hughes is a very physical receiver or a very physical uh, quarterback and he can disrupt receivers. So you see uh, something called uh, a whip out or it's or a whip route, which is like Chad Beebe's specialty. Uh, but it's one where it kind of looks like it's going to be a slant. So you kind of release inside like it, it, as a slant does. And then you kind of turn on a 45 degree angle and you run directly toward the sideline. So it makes this kind of little like whip really, really sudden motion. And the way to defend that is to kind of get your hands on the receiver and disrupt the timing of that release. Cause usually this is a pretty quick route. And if you can disrupt that timing, it makes the quarterback go elsewhere. So there's this rep. I believe the the pass is actually a completion to someone else. Uh, but there is this rep where you can see him really just knock somebody off of their route. And it's this great physical thing from a little guy like Hughes. And that's what I think, uh, endeared the Vikings to him in the first place. And that's all over his tape. It's not just this one example. He is like really a good physical press receiver. And I think he can definitely like do those, uh, perform those responsibilities when, uh, when he is tasked to do so. There's another example in the red zone with Hunter Henry who lines up in the slot. And so you've got Mike Hughes versus Hunter Henry and Hunter Henry is running a kind of blaze out ish thing from uh, the Y position from like a tight end alignment. And he's basically going to run toward the back pylon in an out route and try to, you know, catch the fade. But Mike Hughes actually holds up physically and and doesn't let himself be pushed off the route. He doesn't allow any separation to happen. Phil Rivers can't go there, ends up being a coverage sack. And this is Mike Hughes, little guy, holding up against like six foot six, 250 pounds, Hunter Henry. So I would say that his physicality is not too much of an issue so long as he plays the route right. With the Mike Williams touchdown, he did, he got knocked off at the top of the route, and uh, there was a lot of bad body presence, and there was a little bit of bad technique, and I think he was worried too much about uh, a slant or about you know something near the back of the end zone where he just kind of uh, conceded a little bit too much ground and a little bit too much leverage so he could get knocked off the route and get some separation generated. Second half, he's cleaned that problem up, and now he's knocking everybody around. So there's a certain uh, cornerback technique called bail technique, 
Uh, and that is where you line up in press and you immediately flip your hips and run stride for stride with somebody. And the advantage of this is that you can essentially mirror a wide receiver really, really well if you have decent reflexes and you get yourself turned around. Of course, you can get kind of beat by a slant and by certain underneath stuff. Um, but for the most part, you can cover a route tree pretty well if you have reflexes. You can get into what's called trail position. And trail position is where you're almost kind of like baiting the quarterback into thinking that that you're beat. Um, not, I, I don't think it's like designed for that, but that is what kind of ends up happening. But it's where you're like a step or two behind the wide receiver on purpose. And what you're going to do is hope that the quarterback doesn't lead them well enough. And you kind of have to require it like requires the quarterback to throw a perfect pass because anything else and you're going to have all the momentum that you need to go make a play on the ball. And in certain coverages, too, you're taught to kind of be in trail position and make sure that if the ball's behind, you've got it. And if the ball is out in front, there's going to be somebody else elsewhere in the zone coverage that has it. So trail position is something that can kind of look bad, uh, but is actually like what the coverage calls for. And on uh, the bail technique rep that I'm talking about, it's the one where Holton Hill ends up making a great tackle, um, but he plays bail technique really really smooth you see a ton of hip fluidity and you see him run kind of stride for stride with his man it ends up being a kind of intermediate in route and he manages to put himself and just plop himself right in perfect trail position uh he doesn't end up getting targeted on the play and i think with good reason because he's not there and uh the other half of his coverage you know the in front part is covered by a linebacker so again he has his help and he knows where he's supposed to play and he's like better defended against something like a post corner or a double move to the outside so you again you see him in, with a ton of discipline playing where he's supposed to be in the coverage, and that is what makes Mike Zimmer's defense sing. And I think you can rely on that coming from Mike Hughes. And the last play on the rep or on the on the game was hit for Mike Hughes at least was the interception that he got. One of the like a million turnovers that the Chargers committed in this game was an interception by Mike Hughes. It was an underthrown ball by Philip Rivers, um, but he was there to punish it. And one of the things about cornerback play that's like a principle of cornerback play is make the window smaller. Right? You can never as a corner make the window zero. There is always going to be a chance that the quarterback, you know, throws a perfect pass and gets just over your fingertips and, and, you know, there's just kind of nothing you can do about it. But if you make the window small, it basically requires the quarterback be perfect. And if the quarterback is not perfect, you can then punish that. Still, this one wasn't a perfect rep. He tries to play press and he kind of gets beat to the outside. Uh, and he tries to like jam him and gets kind of caught sleeping. It ends up creating a little bit of separation and then he catches up. Uh, but the throw is like way under. And so he ends up being in a better position to pick it off. And that ends the day. Chris Boyd closes out the game. So I think what we learn here is that his physical limitations are definitely there. I think you see that on the touchdown. And I don't think that's the last time something like that is going to happen to Mike Hughes. But I think you see an executor of Mike Zimmer's ideas. And I think that's exactly what you want from a corner. I don't think he's necessarily the guy that freelances or the guy that you can kind of put on an island and, and be Xavier Rhodes. I don't think Mike Zimmer will be able to do that this year. And you're going to see a really interesting redesign of what they have, considering that they don't really have a guy that can do that. I mean, I, don't, I think Jeff Gladney can eventually be that, but week one of your rookie season, that's pretty high expectations. So what I think you can get out of Mike Hughes is I, I like him as a slot. I'd be totally fine with him outside if you wanted to put Jeff Gladney inside, like, 
whatever you want to do there. Um, but I, I like him as a slot and I like him as a guy that's going to be in the right spot. And that slot corner, that nickel corner position is one that is kind of central, like physically, like geographically central on the field. And so being in the right spot is extra important. You saw Mackenzie Alexander mess that up a bunch in like his first couple of years when he hadn't bought in and you kind of saw how much that could hurt the defense and he wouldn't even get on the field. So I, I think it's really important that you have a guy like Mike Hughes in there on that slot position. And I actually feel really optimistic about about Mike Hughes and, and his actual level of play going into the 2020 season. So with that nice optimistic take to send you into the weekend, uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Locked On Vikings. I am going to leave you with this message from Eric Kendricks. Uh, you Again, you may have already seen it if you follow the Vikings on Twitter, uh, but if not... You go do that. Follow me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. You can find the show anywhere you find your favorite podcasts or ask your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings. I'm going to leave you with this. And as always, skull. What's up, everybody? Uh, my name is Eric Hendricks, and I play uh, linebacker for the Minnesota Vikings. Um, I know. Uh, I know. I know. There's a lot of you guys that that feel probably similar to me. You know, um, obviously, um, you feel a little bit helpless. You know, like you you can't do nothing. You know, you want to help. You want you want to you want to be the change. You know what I mean? But you don't know how to in this situation. You know, it's it's real deep. You know, um, <sighs> Minneapolis is a place that uh, you know I care about really deeply. It breaks my heart to see the people of Minneapolis, you know, not only treated like this, but, you know, how hurt they are by this, you know what I mean? People of the world, you know, people. This isn't a problem that's going to be fixed overnight. You know, um, it's going to, it's going to take, it's going to take, you know, It's going to take accountability from each of us. You know, um, I say that because I, I'm applying the pressure to myself as well. You know, um, I'm I'm applying the pressure to myself to do more. Um, and uh, this has got to stop happening, man. This is this is this is ridiculous, man. This is just this is over and over. You know. Um, I just, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the, you know, that, uh, that me and my teammates and the Vikings, uh, you know, have, have been making major steps. You know, we, we're doing things to try to, you know, to try to, to help this. You know, we're, we're, we're trying to get in the community. We're trying to, we're trying to reach people as best we can. You know, obviously we, we need to improve clearly, but we're, we're doing so and we will continue to do so. But I just want to hold you guys to the same standard because it's going to take all of us. You know what I mean? For real. You know, it's not, it's like I said, it's not going to happen overnight, but we got to do something. And if you're doing nothing, you do, you, you know, you, it's not good enough. <laughs>